The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and I always wish we had more time on the show, especially when we have such an insider in the Intel world like John Gans on. He was with us for the show. He's the author of the new book, White House Warriors, How the National Security Council Transformed the American Way of War. He worked at the Pentagon for former Secretary Ash Carter as the former chief speechwriter up until 2017. John, the book, I've been able to skim it, and I, I want to read it on the long weekend. It's fascinating because it really describes the work culture at the NSC. What is the work culture like at the NSC? Well, I think it's, you know, as I sort of said on air, what I, you know, national security is a lot like every other workplace, right? You got, and I, and I always tell my students, that these people who are working at the Situation Room, they're not that different than you and me. They're people who are interested in foreign policy. They're smart. They're dedicated. They're in, they're they're hardworking. And generally speaking, they've dedicated their lives to either serving in the military, serving in the intelligence community, serving as diplomats, or just working for the kind of people who become presidents. And so it's a great group of interesting, dedicated people working under tremendous stakes. What are the sacrifices that like a uh, I don't like. Uh, let's start. Like, what, what what are the sacrifices that like a twenty-something staffer at the NSC has to make uh, if they work, you know, in the intel world that people wouldn't know about? Not like I'm not talking about like Alias or like Twenty Four with Jack Bauer, but like what are like some of like the real life sacrifices? Well, I think what you actually see is is that over the history, which I sort of track from the National Security Council from 1947 to today, is you actually see the age of the staffers getting younger, in part because the job has just gotten crazier. And and I wrote a- What does that mean? Because uh, technology has allowed people to do more and more and more. So they can actually keep up with the world in a way that they didn't in the cable days, where you would sort of write your cable, it would go off to your counterpart abroad, and then you would show up the next morning after the time difference and you'd get a new cable. And I don't think people under necessarily know what cables mean. Exactly. So, a so what's a cable? So a cable in the old day was basically like a telegram. You would write a paper, a memo, and you would send a, a long sort of cable that was like a report on what you did that day, a meeting, a, and a, a, a new change in your in a country. And you would send it to Washington, Washington would read it, they'd respond, and you'd get, come back to your embassy abroad and you'd sort of act out the policy as handed down. Today it's in real time. I, I wrote a piece for Wired last week about how video teleconferencing has allowed NSC staffers to basically do everything from managing wars to managing relationships with foreign allies. And so as a result, the staff work has just gotten crazier. I mean. A staffer working on Iran will probably work 20-hour days, seven days a week for about a year or two years. There's a reason that the staff tenures at the NSC are so short is because most people can't do it for very long. And when you say working on the issue, I, I think, and the book really does a great job of, of mapping it out on how like post-Cold War foreign policy versus today impacts this. But like someone working on Iran policy, for example, could be a 20-something sitting in a cubicle. Yes. That, that I don't think people like truthfully and uh, like why would anyone it, it, it's it's fascinating because mm -hmm. I think we so often think of these jobs as being like, you know, Jack Bauer and Jack Bauer being on 24. Yeah. But but really, it's like they get they have to go in, put their phone away. They can't be on Instagram. 
Mm-hmm. They can't be on social media. They have to be fully committed. And they put their phone in a locker, right? Usually, yeah. If and they even bring it out of their cars. Most people just leave it in their cars. Because you can't bring it into the secure facilities. Because all these rooms and offices are secure, compartmentalized places where top secret information can be shared and top secret emails coming in and things along those And lines. so they're sitting in a cubicle essentially like, wow. Well, I think that's what... What are the, they doing? I'm not... But yeah. Like, yeah, but what are they actually doing? Are they on a computer? Are they like... like how, what are they doing? Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I tried to write this book was to kind of say to see the staff level of how policy is made. And so I track, like, example, one staffer I track in the, in the beginning of the book was Megan O'Sullivan, who was a 30-something-year-old young woman who was helping George W. Bush come up with the search, right? And so a day for her was monitoring all of the intelligence that was going to the president in the mornings, working in real time to sort of come up with ideas, whether he had a phone call with the prime minister of Iraq, whether he was having a meeting with the Pentagon, she would have to prepare him for those meetings. And in her spare time, she tried to come up with ideas, right, to try and like turn the war around. And then at the end of the try day, and like turn the war around. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. hate to, like the way you said, like, you know, try and like turn the war around. Exactly. Yeah. But it was, you know, I, she talks about in, in one part of the book, like this was the worst memo I had ever written. And it was like the memo on the search. Right. She just couldn't get it in the place that she wanted. Or there's another story about Richard Haas, who everybody knows Richard Haas. Mm-hmm. He's now the chair, president of Council on Foreign Relations. But when he was just a staffer, he had um, in 1989, he worked for George H.W. Bush and he was just a staffer working on the Gulf War. And he had pulled like five all-nighters in a row and came to work on a Sunday in just shorts and a T-shirt just to check his, you know, check the latest on the thing, on the reports. He was in a situation from shorts and a T-shirt and he gets a call from the National Security Advisor and the National Security Advisor says, you need to go to Marine One landing in about a half hour to give the president a briefing. He's going to meet with the press. And the first thing Richard Haas thinks is, oh, expletive. I'm in the wrong clothes. And he had to go bum a blazer from his buddy down the hall. And he and Condi Rice sat up, like came together and Richard Haas was so tired. He couldn't even type. He was like, I was having a hard time and he was working on a, on a computer. So Condi just said, get out of the seat types. She says, just dictate. He writes up something. He, he shows up at Marine one president waves him over. He gives him the, the briefing and he says, you got to say something hard to hard to the press. You got to say something tough. And Bush kind of goes, okay, walks out and he says his famous, this will not stand this aggression by Iraq. And that was where people got the idea for the first time that we were going to go to war against Iraq. I'm going to leave it there. That's a great story. John Gans, author of the new book, White House Warriors, How the National Security Council Transformed the American Way of War. When I was skimming it, and again, I can't wait to dive into it. When I was skimming it, it reminded me of what Aaron Sorkin did for White House staffers uh, for the West Wing. Uh, and it's the same. People don't understand what it, it – it, Hollywood's perception of what actually goes on is so incorrect. Thank you very much, John, for the time. Thanks, That's man. it for me. Kevin's really Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.